0: Amen. You can be seated. Well, welcome again to Phoenix Bible Church. Uh, It's really a pleasure to see you all here this morning. It's a joy, really. We we put in a lot of work to get here today. Uh, But honestly, it's it's all been worth it because we get to play a place to gather to worship Jesus. Uh, And so that's why we're here. We hope that's why you're here. If you're not sure about Jesus, that's okay, too. We want you to learn about him this morning. We are, uh, as I said before, a new church in a new year, and a, and a topic that a lot of us consider in a new year is this topic of joy. Like where we find joy, how we keep joy, do we have joy? All of us kind of tend to do that as we enter this new year, and it's perfect because we're going into this book of Philippians in the New Testament of your Bible that gets into this topic of joy. In fact, joy or rejoice is mentioned about 13 times in the book of Philippians. And so it's a joyful book. And that's what we're going to dive into this morning. So I'd invite you to grab a Bible. If you didn't bring one, there should be one uh, in, under the chair kind of right in front of you. So grab that. Head to Philippians. Again, it's in the New Testament. It's sandwiched right between Ephesians and Colossians. And so you can find it there. As you turn there, let me pray for us as we get into God's word. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you that through him we get your amazing grace. That through him we get your righteousness. That through him we get life and breath. God, I pray that however we walk in here this morning, whatever circumstances we are facing, that we would see that there is a a deep and abiding joy in knowing Jesus. Father, help us. To see that as we look at your word, help us to examine our own lives, our own hearts, our own minds. And see, do we have that joy? And begin this morning by the power of your spirit to take steps towards a joy in Jesus. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So where do you find joy and how do you keep it? We're going to ask those questions. We're going to hopefully answer those questions as we look at the book of Philippians. And um, you know, I was thinking about it. Over the holidays, my wife and I took a break from social media. And uh, I would highly recommend it. Uh, it was really refreshing for us. And um, we didn't miss much, uh, just, just in case you are wondering. And so you should try it sometimes. But we took this break from social media, and we came back on January 1. And we entered into the fray of Facebook news feeds once again. And... Uh, filling up our news feeds was evaluations and expectations, right? Evaluations of 2014 and expectations of 2015. And some people would talk about how great 2014 was and how excited they were for 2015. Some of those people annoy us, right? We're like, really? (laughs) It's surely not. It surely wasn't that great. Like, I know you. Um, And then some people would talk about how difficult 2014 was. And they would talk about how ready they were to get on with 2014 and move into 2015. My favorite one was this. It, it said, 2014, you sucked. <laughs> it's just very blatant. Like, 2014, you sucked, and they're really ready to get into 2015. And as I read these news feeds, as you may have read these or even written them, it's okay, um, I thought this that really there's two categories of people when we see evaluations at a time like this. There's people who have experienced joy, and then there's people who are searching for joy. And really, as you read those news feeds and as we even have conversations about those things, it all comes down to our circumstances like a job that we got or we didn't get, a loss that we had in our family, an addition to the family. A relationship that was shattered or a relationship that thrived. And you see that in those Facebook news feeds, in those threads. And you see really a a deeper issue of our hearts that many times what we base our joy on is circumstantial. It's entirely based on our circumstances. We think, when I get that job, then I'll be happy. We think, like, when I retire then I'll really be happy. We think when I meet that girl, then I'll really be happy. And then we think when I get married to that girl, then we'll really get things going. And then we think when we have kids, then we'll really be happy. And then we think when the kids move out, (laughs) then life will really begin. And it's all based on our circumstances, what we have, what we don't have. But what if, as we start this new year, What if it didn't have to be that way? What if that didn't have to be our reality? What if there was a joy that went beyond our circumstances, good or bad? We see that play out in the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul is in some really difficult circumstances. He's in prison, and yet he's joyful. Yet he's calling the Philippians to experience a joy that goes beyond their circumstances. And so that's what we're going to dive into. Look at the text with me. Philippians 1, we'll start in verse 1 together. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we get into Philippians, it was written by the Apostle Paul. If you're not familiar, the Apostle Paul used to be Saul. You can read about his life and conversion in the book of Acts. He meets Jesus in Acts 9. It's a really amazing story. You should read it when you have time. This is the guy who writes Philippians. And we see specifically in Acts, Acts chapter 16, his first encounter with the city of Philippi. He goes into the city of Philippi, he meets some people, he leads them to Jesus, and essentially they start what was the core team of the church at Philippi. That's Acts 16. Again, you should go read that. We won't have time to cover it all today. But that's where you see this church in Philippi originate. And then scholars think that he writes this letter about 10 years after that. So 10 years later, he's in prison. Actually, again, if you read Acts 16, he's in prison again. Uh, he finds himself there, and he writes this letter to the church at Philippi. And look at verse 1 again with me. He addresses them as saints in Christ Jesus. Christ, the name, is actually there 18 times just in chapter 1. The word gospel, which means good news of Jesus, is there six times just in chapter 1. 18 times, six times, Jesus, the gospel Just in chapter one of Philippians. And so we have to be clear as we talk about joy, as we talk about where we find our joy, how we keep our joy, joy is not the goal. Jesus is the goal. But as we get more of Jesus, we get more joy. Do you see that? Joy is not the goal. Some churches will tell you that. Some magazine articles will tell you that. Society will tell you all you need is joy. If you don't have Jesus, you can never have joy. And so he addresses first that there's saints in Christ Jesus. We see that throughout the first chapter, that it all starts with Jesus. So where do we find our joy? We find it in Jesus. Look back at the text with me. Verse 3. It says this, I thank my God In all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. So how do we keep this joy? The first thing we see in verse 3 is what? A thankful heart that Paul has. He writes this letter in prison, and yet he starts out the letter with, I thank my God in remembrance of you. And what does it say? Every once in a while when his alarm goes off, And he's reminded I should pray for the Philippians now. No. He says, always. When When I first read that, I thought, is it possible that Paul said that but didn't really mean it? Like, is it possible that it's similar to you and I, like we've had a difficult day, we're in a difficult season of life, and we just put on a happy face? We just fake it till we make it. Like, is it possible Paul just, he said this, but he probably didn't really mean this. But if you look again in Acts 16 where this church started, you see this is Paul's lifestyle since he met Jesus. Like in Acts 16, you see Paul and Silas go into another prison. Paul liked to hang out there a lot. And they go into this other prison 10 years before. And it says in Acts 16 that they were praising God. After being beaten and thrown into prison, they were praising God, singing hymns to God in prison. Just what any normal person would do, right? If you get beaten and thrown into prison, right? We can all relate to that. This is a lifestyle Paul had. And it wasn't because of him. It was because of Jesus. He had a a thankful heart. And some of you might push back and say, well, this is the Apostle Paul. I mean, we can't really... Compare ourselves to this guy. I mean, he wrote half the New Testament. He's an apostle, right? And some of us would push back on that and defend that and say, well, you know, Paul really, he was just a regular guy. He was just a regular guy like, like you and I. Um, I think I've even said that before. I've definitely read that in books. I've heard other pastors say that. But really, that's inaccurate. Really, Paul just wasn't a, an average guy. He was a really bad guy. Like if you read some of the details before Acts 9 of Paul's life when he was named Saul, they're pretty intense. Like you look in Acts 7. Acts 7, you see this guy named Stephen who loves Jesus and yet is dragged out by men out of a city and stoned to death. And it says that after these men did this, while they did this, they handed their coats to Paul At the time, Saul. And it says specifically in the text that he signed off in approval. That a man who loves Jesus at no fault of his own is dragged out of a city and stoned to death. And Paul was the one holding their jackets. Paul was the one signing off and nodding and saying, that's a good thing. Paul wasn't just an average guy. Paul wasn't just a guy. He was a a really bad guy. Worse off than probably many of you by our world standards. We would be kind of scared of Paul if we saw him in the streets in Acts 7. He's a bad guy. But what happens? Paul meets Jesus. Paul's life is turned upside down by Jesus. His heart goes from hardened to thankful. All because of Jesus you know, I, I think if we're honest, a lot of us don't have a thankful heart. A lot of us are looking at our circumstances. Some are, are good, but they're not enough. Right? Like money. Money's good, but it's, it's not enough, right? Like you feel that restlessness when, when you get that paycheck that you wanted, when you get that job and that salary that you wanted, when somebody gives you a gift in the mail, a gift card, and then you kind of forget about that gift card. Like it's, it's tucked away in your drawer like that money that seems so great really it's just a number on a screen and you have this restlessness because it's not enough even in the good things and in the bad things we look at our lives and we see our circumstances and a lot of us we can't be thankful we can't see what God has provided already I do this in my life just a couple of weeks ago my wife and I my family went on vacation and it was a really short vacation it was about six days in Dallas Texas And uh, that's where my family's from, and uh, we planned it really badly. I I planned it really badly, uh, to say that in in reality. But uh, we had an early flight to go out to Dallas, and we have two little kids, five and two years old. I think we flew out about 6.30 a.m., and then on the way back, uh, we did the same thing. Uh, We just are gluttons for punishment, I guess. And uh, we flew out again. After six days, we flew out again, made it back for church on time. It was fairly hectic. And... We got back, and the next day, my wife is, is talking to me, and she's like, how was that? Like, how was that, our little mini vacation, seeing your family, and uh, getting away for a little bit? Like, was that refreshing for you? And I'm thinking, and I'm tired, and my kids were screaming on the airplane. Um, and I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I feel very thankful for that time away right now. Like I don't know if refreshed is quite the word I would use to describe how I feel right now. And she said, Well, well, what would cause that feeling? Like what can we do to, to help you get some rest? This last year and three months has been kind of crazy for us. And so she's being a caring wife, appreciate that. And like what can we do to, to help you get some rest and be thankful? And I said, uh, I don't know, maybe like Sandals Resort in Jamaica, like just me and you, like I I think that might do the trick. And my loving wife is just like, so gracious. She's like, well, what, what about something more realistic? <laughs> what about something that we can implement weekly, monthly in our lives other than Sandals Resort in Jamaica? That's probably not going to happen. You know what that reveals in me is I get stuck not in thankfulness, but in comparison. Like I compare my life to others. Do you ever do this? We do this a lot on, speaking of Facebook and Twitter, we, we see the highlights of other people's lives and we compare them to the behind the scenes of our lives. We think their lives look amazing. Well, that's nice. They, they, they look like they went on a good vacation. I mean, a nice beach. I mean, I wonder if he got a raise at Christmas. Goodness. We see their kids and, they, and they, they're thriving, right? They're just. All A's every semester. And we we compare that to our lives and we think, our, our kids throw the paper and pen at us when we ask them to study. Like, and we compare. And as a result, we're robbed of our thankfulness. I can compare even in my own life of what could be. Like, yeah, we had this little mini vacation, but what if we had done this? I have... This house, but what if we lived in a different area closer to the church? We compare and it robs us of our thankfulness. Do you do, do this in your life? Do you get lost in comparison and miss out on thankfulness? Some researchers actually did a study on this that's really popular and considered a foundational study on happiness. It's in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. What they found was lottery winners all the way to someone getting a raise, all the way to someone moving to a a beautiful place with good weather like California, to having kids, that all of these people as they did this study had less happiness than before. That it didn't turn out how they hoped. As their circumstances changed, it didn't fulfill everything they wanted. In fact, specifically, they said people routinely mispredict how much pleasure or displeasure future events will bring. You see, a lot of us get in this uh, race of comparison. We think about what's next and we miss what's now. We're never thankful. We never rest in what's now. Louis C.K., a great philosopher of our day, uh, I don't endorse his comedy. But he did a bit on Conan a few years ago that was really amazing and assessed our depravity and and, uh, really how we function as as at least Americans and just said that everything's amazing, but nobody's happy. And he talked about how you're flying in an airplane over an ocean and you have fast, free Wi-Fi. But that the moment that Wi-Fi goes bad... We get frustrated, right? And we don't realize that we're flying in a chair across an ocean, streaming a video. Like We miss out on thankfulness comparing of what we could have, what someone else has. Do you do this in your life? And we have to set aside times in our lives where we are intentionally thankful for what Jesus has done for us. You see this in the Old Testament. King David in 1 Chronicles 16, he appoints a time for thanksgiving. He schedules it in. You can read it in 1 Chronicles 16. They go on to sing a song of thankfulness. David appoints that as king. We're gonna take some time and be thankful. He doesn't fake it till he makes it, but he realizes this truth about you and me that we don't often ponder on what we're thankful for. We think about what we don't have. Listen, as we talk about thankfulness, as we talk about joy beyond circumstances, you need to schedule that time into your life. You need to set aside some, some time with your spouse, with your kids, and talk about what you're thankful for. It doesn't have to be lame and forced. You can just talk about, like, did you have a good day? Did you have a bad day? At dinner time at our house, we'll always ask Neela, my daughter, what was the best part of your day. And usually at first she's like, "I don't know. What's school? Nothing." And we're like, "Yeah, well, what was your what was your favorite part?" And eventually she comes up with something. And we celebrate that. She'll ask us what that is for us. That's just one simple thing that we do to just appoint a point of time to see what we're thankful for. What has Jesus granted to us that we're thankful for? There's so much That we have to be thankful for. And if you know Jesus. You have salvation. If you know Jesus. You have his righteousness. Imputed to you. If you know Jesus. You can come in here today. And celebrate Jesus. Without guilt or shame. No matter your circumstances. If you live in Phoenix. You have a reason to be thankful. You can wear flip flops. In January. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? Right now, as you appoint this time to be thankful and to think about what you're thankful for, you have to be thankful for that you're not alone. Like, literally, look around the room. You're not alone. You're here. You made it here. We have much to be thankful for. Paul's going to emphasize more of that, that we're not alone, that we have partnership and relationship. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's where he gets his joy from. And he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Verse 5, you see this phrase, partnership in the gospel. It's a key phrase for us as we look at the text, partnership in the gospel. Again, going back to Acts 16, uh, you see this story, this, this church start in Philippi. And what you see is Paul interacts with three people who are really different from one another. The first person he interacts with is a lady named Lydia. It says in Acts 16 that she sells purple. And that day, purple would have been a fabric that would have been uh, a way to make money. And she would have most likely been a well-off businesswoman. So you first have Lydia. And then secondly, it's a little bit different. You have a slave girl who's possessed by a demon. A little bit different than Lydia. Um, And then as Paul and Silas get thrown into jail, you have a jailer who they interact. All people who are radically different from one another. But they have this common bond in the gospel. They all meet Jesus. And here's what's amazing. The book of Philippians has more coffee cup and bumper sticker verses than any book of the Bible. Like, Phoenix would love the book of Philippians. Like, We love bumper stickers, we love coffee mugs, but really they're they're great verses. Like They're rich verses. One of those verses is in verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Some of you probably know this verse, have quoted it. Maybe it's on a bumper sticker on your car. Um, It's an amazing verse, but here's what's so amazing about that verse. Is that Paul knew some of these people. Like Paul in Acts 16, 10 years ago, led some of these people to Jesus. And now, 10 years later, he's writing to them saying, He who began this work in you, he's going to bring it to completion. As we read our Bible, sometimes we think these are fictitious characters. Sometimes we think these are trite statements and platitudes. You need to know that this is truth that Paul felt and experienced and is now dispensing 10 years later to these people about a partnership that they have in the gospel, despite the fact that they're different. You know, as I look around this room, as I look around the beginnings of Phoenix Bible Church, I see people that are married and and some are not. I see people that have kids, and and some don't. I see people that are in college, and I see some people who, you don't remember college. (laughs) We're vastly different in our circumstances, in our position of life, in our backgrounds, yet we're all here together to celebrate Jesus Christ, to celebrate the gospel. I hope to partner In the gospel. Listen, our our goal as a church is not merely to have you attend a service. Our goal is to see you partner in the gospel. Paul says it this way in verse 7 that they are partakers of grace. That unmerited favor that we talked about, that they're all partakers of grace. And no, no matter what differences they have, Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, and Paul. They all have this common bond, this partnership in the gospel. See, here's the amazing thing about the local church. Here's why we're starting Phoenix Bible Church. It's the only place where you see community centered around a deep and important cause. You may push back and think, well, Tim, there's a lot of important causes in the world. There's cures for cancer, and I agree. It's an amazing cause to get behind. Amazing cause to get community around, to come together on. But cures for cancer don't have eternal weight. Investing into a relationship with Jesus, inviting others into that, lasts forever. It's an investment you make today that goes on for eternity. We have a partnership in the gospel. But there's lots of other causes we can attach ourselves to, right? Like yesterday, I took defensive driving, purely for sermon research, Um, but I was in this defensive driving class, and what was interesting was how quickly people bonded together over other bad drivers, (laughs) which is amazing because we're in the class trying to get a citation off our record, so I don't know if we're the experts on driving, but we get really excited about other people, and they don't turn right, and they always pass us, and they always tailgate us. And specifically, a lot of people had a lot of hate for the snowbirds. I don't know if you've seen this. Maybe you've done this. Um, but they would get really excited about all the snowbirds. Like, yeah, in you know, September through May, you really got to watch out for those snowbirds. Like, they'll pass you. They don't go fast enough. They go too fast. They don't know how to drive in Phoenix. And at one point, I asked the class. I was like, how do you know they're snowbirds? And they would say, you just look at the color of their hair. That's kind of rude. Um, But they would band together so much over attacking these snowbirds, fixing the problem of snowbirds driving in our city after they got their ticket. But I regress. But they would get so excited about this cause and people that didn't know each other coming in would be laughing together and nodding their heads at one another. Like, they were really excited. They didn't even know each other, but yet they had this cause against snowbirds driving in Phoenix, and they got really excited and built a little bit of a community in our defensive driving class. Listen, there's tons of causes we can get behind. There's softball leagues to cures for cancer, but the only cause that's worth giving your life to is the cause of Jesus Christ, the cause of eternity, being at stake, seeing other people, Meet Jesus. That's why in our mission statement, we are very clear that we want to see people. We want to see you and I. It starts with us. Love Jesus. That's our cause. We want to see you not just love Jesus, but begin to live like Jesus. We want to see you not just live like Jesus yourself, but for that to go through you, enter your neighborhood, community, your family, your job, this city, that other people might meet Jesus as well. That's our cause, and we have a community around that. I don't know of a stronger community. Like, we're partners in the gospel. The local church is a place where we're happy when you're here and we're sad when you're gone. When you're gone. The the local church, this partnership in the gospel, is a place where when everybody leaves, these people stay. Partnership in the gospel through the local church is a place where you mourn with those who mourn. This got real last night um, in our lives, in our church, as we had a family who's a key family in our church. The the husband's actually on our, our lead team in our church, and they've been up here yesterday and... Um, getting ready for today, and, and we're really excited about this day. We get a text from them at 1 o'clock in the morning saying that their teenage son had passed out three times in 10 minutes and that they were on their way to the ER. Um, and and we we've, we've felt that with them, and we wondered, like, is something drastically wrong? Like, as we're excited about today, like, what what if something's wrong with, with Caleb? And, like, we... we we felt that and my wife and I, we sat up and we prayed at one o'clock this morning. Because we wondered like what's, what's going on and I still, we don't know what's going on. They went to the ER, they didn't find anything. They recommended that they go to a cardiologist. They're gonna do that and we prayed for them and I'd ask you to, to pray for this family in our church. They're a dedicated, beautiful family who love Jesus. Whose circumstances right now don't bring them a lot of joy. But we're partners in the gospel. So you text us at 1 o'clock in the morning before a really big day. We're going to stop and pray for you. We'd ask you to pray for them. Because they would do the same for you. We're partners in the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. It's a community and a cause. A people and a purpose like nothing else. That's what we invite you in to at Phoenix Bible Church. Some of you are thinking, this sounds pretty serious. Like, this sounds pretty intense. I mean, I just came for the free coffee. This is my first time. Listen, as you look back at your life, you don't ever want to think, I was watching while that happened. Like, I saw that. I heard about that. You want to think, I was there. I participated. Let's not know we live in Phoenix, a big culture of just attending one church and then going to another church. You need to know that you're missing out. You're missing out on this partnership in the gospel that when good things happen, that when bad things happen, when your circumstances fluctuate, that you have a consistent partnership with other people. As I said before, you made it here. You are not alone. We want to invite you into that at Phoenix Bible Church. We don't do that perfectly. We will let down one another. We will have times where we have conflict with one another. But ultimately, our prayer, our desire, is that we would have a deep partnership in the gospel that brings a thankfulness, that brings a joy that goes beyond our circumstances. That's our desire. That's what we invite you into as a church. Look back at the text with me, the last verse, verse 8. It says this, For God is my witness... How I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul knows the affection of Jesus. Paul knows it and he expresses it to the Philippians in verse 8. And I think that's hard for a lot of us to comprehend if we're honest. Like I have two kids, as I mentioned, five and two, and I love my kids. My two year old Ashwin just started saying this, just as he walks around, as he sees different things, he says, Oh my goodness. He's two years old, so he just sees the bathtub. He's like, oh my goodness. It's so cute. It's amazing. My five year old, Neela, my daughter, you know what she asked for for Christmas? Me. She asked for her daddy. She also asked for God and mommy and and Ashwin, but I focused on she asked for me. (laughs) Made me feel so good. I love spending time with my kids, I love enjoying my kids. I love my kids, but I know you never do this, but sometimes I get annoyed with my children. And it usually plays out in the airport. Like we've flown a lot lately, so a lot of my analogies come from there. Um, a lot of it plays out at the airport. Like, So two kids, me and my wife, were walking through the airport, have five bags, two car seats, and a stroller hanging on to my pinky for dear life. And we're not just taking a stroll in the airport, right? We're trying to catch our flight. Most often we're late. And as we're walking through the airport, five bags, two car seats, and a stroller hanging onto my pinky, what do my kids do? They stop for some rest and relaxation. (laughs) They hit each other and fight over who gets to sit in the stroller, their favorite thing is the security belt. You know the security belt where you put your stuff through as you walk through? Their favorite thing is that belt. They put their hands all over it, they just hang all over it. They love the security belt. No germs on that whatsoever. That's really clean, and I'm sure. Um, they love that thing, and I'm always just like, stop, don't do that. Hey, come on, keep walking. It's an amazing time at the airport, and I get a little bit annoyed with my kids. Now, do I love my kids? Of course. So there's times like at the airport I get a little bit annoyed did you know that Jesus doesn't get annoyed by you that his affection is pure and perfect because he is pure and perfect first Peter 1 calls Jesus like a, a lamb without spot or blemish Jesus is like a lamb without spot or blemish He's completely perfect. As Paul says, that he yearns for the Philippians with the affection of Jesus Christ. You need to know that that is a vast, weighty comment. That that is a vast, weighty expression and feeling toward the Philippians. And that you, if you know Jesus, you have that affection. And it's not limited by sin. It's not distorted by selfishness. It's perfect. You know, as I do love my kids, and as I do show them affection, despite my distorted selfishness, despite my flesh, and despite my sin, it's a beautiful thing. Just think about the people that you love and have affection for in your own life. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's your parents, people that you have deep, deep affection for in your life. As beautiful as that is, How much more beautiful is the affection of the perfect son of God for you? You need to know that if you know Jesus, you have that affection. And that Paul says that he gives that affection away. So we would invite you, as you think about joy beyond your circumstances, to receive that affection, to know that affection of Jesus, but to also give it away, that we would be able to share that affection with one another that we would be able to share that affection with other people who don't know who Jesus is. That's our desire as a church, to see a joy that goes beyond our circumstances, that comes from the gospel, that comes from Jesus, that comes as we partner in the gospel, that comes as we're thankful, that comes as we receive affection and give affection from Jesus. It's a radical, life-changing joy that we get to be a part of as Christians. As we close, what, what would it take, what would it look like for you to take steps in these areas of your life? Like some of you may push back and think, well, I, I don't have anything to be thankful for. I don't feel a lot of affection in my life. I don't know anybody to partner with. But, but I would just say, as you, as you even look at Thankfulness. Maybe in your life, maybe you've had some sickness, some sin, some strife. Maybe your 2014 wasn't all it was cracked up to be. But what if you looked at all the provisions Jesus has made through all those circumstances? What if you looked at his unchanging affection through all your fluctuating circumstances? If you're thinking, I don't have partnership," Nobody knows me. I mean, maybe I come in and out of these doors, but I'm not really connected to anyone else. I can't have partnership in the gospel. Listen, you made it here. There's an opportunity for that today. Join a community group. Join our women's study. Join our men as they do discipleship with one another. Don't leave today without a partnership in the gospel. As much as we have a partnership in softball leagues, sewing clubs, whatever your thing is. How much greater is a partnership in the gospel? How much more worth it is a partnership in the gospel? Even your family, you share their last name, and that's an incredible bond. As believers in Jesus, we share the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ. You have partners in this room. You need to reach out and take a step in that direction towards joy in your circumstances. If you're ever going to have that, you need to have that together, not alone. And then as you look at affection, maybe you think that I've gone too far. Maybe you're annoyed even by me talking about this because it seems trite. You look at your life and you think, there's a lot of ways I don't match up with God. There's a lot of ways he's probably displeased with me. There's a lot of ways I've screwed this up way too far and can't go back now. You need to know that in the midst of that, Jesus has affection for you. So much affection that he walks alongside you. So much, so much affection that he lived a life on this earth that he can empathize with everything you have experienced. So much affection that he went to the cross. That he was arrested, beaten, bruised, and killed on a bloody cross for you. That's affection like we haven't seen anywhere else in history. That affection is available to you through the cross of Christ. I'd invite you now, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know that affection, to believe in him, to give your sin to him. He will take your old life and give you a new life, He will enable you to have a joy that's beyond any circumstance you could ever face. Listen, as we look at the book of Philippians, as we start this series, and talk about joy beyond circumstances, what if this wasn't just a sermon series? Like what if this wasn't just a cute graphic on the screen? What if it wasn't just the Apostle Paul? What if it wasn't just something we read in our Bibles? But what if, by the grace of Christ, for his fame, we began as Phoenix Bible Church to experience joy beyond our circumstances? We began to take steps in this direction of a thankful heart that's centered on Jesus, of a partnership in the gospel of an affection that comes from Jesus. What if that began to happen with a new church in a new year? That's our goal. We want to see you next Sunday. We want you to partner with us to see this take shape in our lives. How would that transform you if you took that step? How would that transform your family if you took that step this morning? How would that transform your campus, this city, if we took that step? What if we gave it a shot? Why not? Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you sent Jesus so that we can experience a joy that goes beyond our circumstances. That you sent your Son into the world from heaven to earth to be born in a manger, to live a nondescript life in poverty and then to die a bloody cross on a bloody cross so that we could trust in you, so that we could be forgiven and experience a joy that goes beyond any circumstance we could ever face. God, I pray as Phoenix Bible that we would respond to that truth. This morning, wherever we are, God, wherever these men and women are, whatever circumstances they're facing, I pray that they would respond that they wouldn't think about what everybody else is thinking of them. They wouldn't think about how they don't measure up. They would give their sin to you in confession and repentance. Father, we need your help to respond that way. We ask that you enable us to respond that way by the power of your Holy Spirit. This morning, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.